Hello, welcome to Meet the Problem Solvers. I'm Judy Perlman, and tonight my guest is Sarah Reed. Sarah and I are here to talk about, wow, what was the name of our, what was the title? Advocacy. Mm -hmm. Advocacy, and at the heart of trans-feminine leadership. That was not the title, but we'll go with that for now. Anyway, I've known Sarah for a couple of years now. She's a strong and interesting person with an interesting uh, story to tell. And we're really here to talk about, in our general framework of sort of problems and solutions, uh, to talk both on sort of the individual level and also on the community level. So Sarah, and we talked first, actually you had seen an earlier show mm -hmm. and you talked about the isolation that came through in the conversation that I'd had about domestic violence. Is that yes. something, does the sort of the resonance with the isolation? Oh, certainly. I mean, I had it, um, th you know, in my childhood, I had it in my family life. Um, I was married for a number of years. Um, it certainly was uh, a very um, frightening part of what should have been uh, an affirming and supportive home. And when you say the frightening thing was how isolated you felt? Oh, yes. Just, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I went into um, all parts of my life since I was very young, um, you know, knowing who I was, but also knowing that that wasn't acceptable. So um, I hid. Yeah. And um, yeah. so the isolation was a self-protection um, yeah, well, I guess thing. that's both a double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. You're isolated, so you're alone, but you're also not mm -hmm. in a, you're not putting yourself into a place where sure. you are at, a, at risk. And it's very hard to get support um, when the looking for that support is, is taboo or forbidden. So um, it just... Uh, like my first counselor said, bad things tend to grow in the dark. Oh, and so that's a great point. Coming out, yeah. uh, telling, learning to tell the truth about uh, one's life, and then meeting other folks who may be further on the journey, um, and building uh, my own network of safety and community have all been part of getting me to where I am today. That's great. Um, and in the work that I do. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting because we really want to talk and back, go back and forth between sort of an individual's experience, including Sarah's experience, but also the way that she's worked with and helped individuals on their journey and taking the steps they wanted. But the interplay between an individual's experience and a larger community experience is something we just need to keep revisiting mm -hmm. in this conversation because the personal is political, and I guess... For trans feminine people, the personal is very public, and you're kind of at everybody's mercy. Mm -hmm. and, and, and one of the things we were talking about in terms of sort of the problem is that not only is that the internal piece of it, but there is so much discrimination. Mm -hmm. And so, so could you sort of put us into that picture a little bit of where you see that? And Well, we've, you know, in Massachusetts, we've come a long ways. Um, We've had community members for decades that have told their story, and it was through the telling of their story um, that progress was made, um, and our stories were able to touch hearts. Um, there were people doing advocacy um, who became my role models. There were people doing it 
uh, perhaps long before them, um, but um, they were at a time when they were never acknowledged, and a lot of them passed due to um, the AIDS epidemic. So, um, but I, I'm very glad for the people that I've had to look up to. I think it is very true that a, a woman is a product of her, her village, yeah. um, and a successful woman certainly is a product of her, her community. I want to roll back to a word that you said that I started with that I don't think we have in the world a shared understanding of what the word advocacy actually means. And so let's not pretend that we're going to define it for the entire universe mm -hmm. right here, you and me right here, but let's just define it for our conversation. In your work as an individual and in, in community and in in, in all the settings you go to, how, do you, how would you define the word advocacy? What does it mean for you? It has been, um, I, I, I think the easiest way to describe um, where we're at, because we're kind of in the old west of trying to uh, establish our legitimacy and our presence in, in culture for real. Uh, a friend of mine always says I'm not part of the Circus Soleil, and, and I think that's very mm. true for, for myself. Um, and so the advocacy that as I've done it and as I've had experience for me is, would be like me coming alongside you and helping you uh, with your obstacles, with uh, maybe shortcomings that are preventing you to move mm -hmm. forward in life, to progress, um, and maybe working together to face uh, the very intimidating, the medical system, uh, legal structures, um, navigating careers and, um, as we always do in the village, uh, navigating relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because relationships on an ongoing basis are always baffling and frustrating and um, it's an ongoing... Yeah. Yeah. So advocacy thing. has a lot of levels. It also means taking data and making the data speak to mm -hmm. legislators. I mean, there are a lot of things that I know you have done. Well, I've also talked with medical communities about the importance of capturing data. Um, we have had the good fortune that uh, insurance, um, thanks to Governor Patrick, uh, a couple years ago began to uh, st stop discriminating against us in gender-affirming care. Um, but at the same time, advocacy has been educating the medical community, and we've got a long ways to go there, um, even though there are many now stepping forward to declare themselves as medical uh, providers of this kind of care, um, there's still quite a lot to learn um, from the perspective of insurance and medical providers and community supporters. So I think what you're saying partly is that, uh, I think what I'm hearing is there may be advances on the books, mm -hmm. and yet it's taking a while for the people who, are, who have to comply with that to catch up. Yes, and uh, it still remains true, and it has been true for, for a very long time, that the body of knowledge about uh, transgender care, and I mean transgender in a much narrower way than uh, in some ways it has come to me. We might want to talk about that, but um, there, the body of knowledge has rested within the community, and uh, like in other tribes, um, stories get passed down uh, from those who have had adventures, those who have had experience, those who have crossed 
barriers mm -hmm. and they get passed down to people who are just starting their journeys out. Um, this is not um, well known, the kind of the secrets and the, um, some of the things um, one can do. Some of the solutions some that of the we've so talked solutions. about. You have found that others have found that others brought you along and right. you have now. Yeah. So, you know, when you yeah. talk like in some uh, medical settings, a lot of the trainings I've done, they just wanted us, uh, me and uh, the nurse I work with, to talk about uh, pronouns and bathrooms. And, you know, like life is just so much beyond that. <laughs> there is just so much more. I mean, that's just... Yeah. Uh, how you're going to use this building and, and um, how to respectfully respect me the way I want to be respected. Right. But there is so much more to transgender care than, than that. That's just the starting point yeah. of what, how to not be hurtful. Basic respect. Well, let's, let's dive into it for a minute because um, the LGBTQAI designation is a large umbrella and mm -hmm. it brings together people with many, many issues, some of which intersect and many which don't. Mm -hmm. And I think what you and I wanted to do tonight was really talk very specifically within the trans woman experience. Yes. And that and that that is my experience. I mean I I, I respect um, broader categories. Um, I think in the last few years uh, people have Kind of, there are some who have translated trans to mean whatever you want it to mean. And um, this can be particularly problematic. Uh, not, I don't have a problem with it, but it can be problematic when somebody projects that onto what I'm saying about myself. Right. And I am not right. saying that, it, um, that my existence means that anything goes. It, it's very, I, I guess, it's just very specific to me. I mean mm -hmm. that I am on the journey of womanhood um, and just seek to find my place in society there. Mm. Right. And that's my personal experience. And you should be allowed to have the narrative about your life and about the way you present yourself and the way you are in the world to be through your lens, not mm -hmm. through somebody else kind of insisting that they're going to use they, them pronouns to right. you, that would feel as unsettling to you as it would to me or to somebody else. It's just not who you see, you, who you are. Sure. Who and are. and there is, um, I definitely support they, them. Uh -huh. um, I think there are, um, as a transgender woman, we have to deal with a lot of misogyny. We have to deal with a lot of uh, things that are very well known to women born into the world of women challenges. And so that's enough of a struggle and, and explanation right there why um, we would aspire to be ourselves in a world that is a man's world. Mm -hmm. So that's enough. And some of these broader conversations and other people's experiences, I believe in always respecting um, whatever somebody says about themselves. Uh, but when I speak transgender, I typically mean it in a narrower sense of somebody not identifying with the gender that they were born into and seeking to transition to where they belong, um, in my case, in the sense of, of a binary woman. Mm -hmm. 
So this is Meet the Problem Solvers. My guest is Sarah Reed. I'm Judy Perlman. As usual, we're having an interesting conversation, and hopefully it's going to bring some new light for some listeners and watchers uh, in some areas they're not familiar with. So we talked about the word advocacy, and I would just like to define another term that is used often, which is cisgender or cis woman. And what that... that, that um, Kind of a suffix, no, a prefix. That's mm-hmm. a cis. It, it's C I S, and the older I get, I'm getting a worse lisp. I don't know what that's what's up with that. And it basically means someone who lives in the life. It lives a life that is aligned with the gender they were born into. And so that is in kind of in comparison with a trans person. Right. Person so that's that's a word that's like. Way too complicated for most daily conversations, yeah. but it does come in helpful um, in, in uh, gender conversations and also in uh, comparing um, what your journey as a woman from birth on yeah. and what my journey might have been whenever I may have said, hey, wait a minute, I'm on the wrong, this, this is, you know, I'm this person and you keep, everybody says that I'm this other person. So... That would be the difference that I wouldn't have had the straight forward path and the social affirmation. I've kind of had to declare myself. In the context of that, using the word cis can be helpful. I think in broader uh, public polite discourse, it's a little bit of baggage for people that are not on board with... um, understanding these things and it can sound to some like they're being called a sissy man or something (laughs) I heard an interview in Britain and the interviewer was very bad and uh, the interviewee was somebody uh, very on board with a lot of gender theory and kept saying no no that's what you are you're a cis man and he says I find that very offensive I am and he's thinking s-i-s right and I'm like oh you know this is just not a helpful conversation so so now is when we turn to solutions so one solution of course is if there's a confusing conversation, if you're in a conversation that is not making sense, to try to everybody take a breath and try to chill it out and try to get back on a, to understand each other and to hear each other. I love to ask questions. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. And, you know, I love to cross cultural barriers. And I recognize that that's not everybody. But, like, if you tell me you were born in, in another country or you're, uh, your religious interests are a certain way, or philosophy, or medical, or, or meditation practices. I wanted to ask questions about You're it. Curious. And so yeah. I'm very curious, yeah. and I don't necessarily find uh, things get too tense when you're on the side of being a, a strong ally and mm-hmm. somebody that right. really wants to know more with about true, the other person. You have to be curiosity. genuine. You yes, have to be exactly. genuine. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about sort of navigating the medical part of gender affirmation. When we think about the solutions that I know you've, you've done for other people navigating that health insurance world, tell us a little bit about what are the, what are the barriers and what does it look like to be a solution to that, those barriers? The barriers um, have been on multiple levels. They, they originally, uh, for the longest time, they've been almost complete barriers. Um, I could talk for hours on just that, but um, I think where we stand now is there's still a lot of a, a, quite a bit of a learning curve 
Um, on the inside of uh, the side of insurance uh, management and understanding about what gender affirming care is. Mm-hmm. Um, in the medical world also, um, they will do what you can afford to pay for or what the insurance will cover, but it's not always appropriate. It's, it's a one-size-fits-all. Um, they always say uh, life is, is sort of a rainbow, but insurance companies like check boxes. Ah. So you may get certain procedures that X, Y, and Z are covered, but the doctor based on, for instance, I'm talking a lot about facial feminization, the doctor will recommend you need to get these four, two, six, or eight things that will really give you that very subtle, general um, impression that you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. And so what we find, though, is when we uh, go to the insurance company, they'll say, oh, we only, uh, your plan only covers uh, four of the eight. And so everybody gets the four of the eight, and I may have girlfriends that um, have had a different life experience. They may have won the genetic lottery, uh, and they need um, perhaps something else um, to repair or do uh, something that happened in their life. And that's not covered, but they will get the same four procedures. Yeah, it's cookie cutter. And it's a lack of understanding of... Of what that is. So sometimes there are workarounds. There's there's ways of recoding. Um, it's been still difficult to get some of the surgeons onboarding with taking insurance because they feel they they uh, should get more or there's, there's like mm-hmm. this ongoing negotiation. And meanwhile, our lives are going by. Um, so right. I, right. it's been a lot of educating. I've worked uh, with uh, a lot with Boston Medical Center and just struck up a relationship and got a chance mm-hmm. to talk with them. Uh, my primary uh, work has been supporting the transgender health program at Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. So, uh, again, sort of on the, the solutions mm-hmm. and the individual side, I think in a way you're selling yourself short on that because I know what you've told me and other people have told me is that you're like a whiz in getting into those health insurance companies and 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 spinning it or interpreting it or really getting much further than the person would have gotten on their own. I, well, I fair? actually, yes, okay, it is fair because, fair. Okay. you know, I wanted to kind of give the State of the Union first, but, yeah, but at the same time, um, I've learned to get a little excited when I get the first no <laughs> because um, it's always no. So I say, well, okay, good, that's... Got that behind me. Got that behind me, right. Then my next question is, and this I teach um, mainly the girls. I work a lot with the girls, but also guys, the principles are the same. And that is, why no? Um, Mm -hmm. Why no? And then I learn to reformulate the argument, uh, remake the case, make a better case, um, see if there's a workaround. And make sure I'm talking to the decision maker, um, and I, I encourage uh, folks who are approaching the medical uh, thing or talking to their insurer, um, you can call insurance eight times and get eight different people. And um, I learned early on that having one person at the insurance company who is in relationship at least with the decision maker and who can kind of navigate through this makes a good partner 
to make real progress with what you need. That's great. That's great. So let's talk a little bit then about some of the other solutions that are kind of on the community level. So you start, you just mentioned before that you've been very active at Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. Mm-hmm. Well, look, we have both images going on there. That's interesting. Oh, there we go. Um, so tell us a little bit more about about that organization and what your role is there. And then I also want to talk about some of your other advocacy work. We sure. What to do here. Okay. Okay. So... Um, I first got involved with uh, Boston, folks in Boston. I knew Boston was the place where I could find a few other trans people and hopefully some support and hopefully some medical people um, and therapists who were well-versed in uh, transgender care. And I found that there were some willing, but not a lot who were knowledgeable um, by by their own um, admission. And that was about 20 years ago when I first came this way. And um, about 12 years ago, I heard that uh, through a group that was meeting here at Cambridge Cares About AIDS uh, called Transcend, um, I got jumped into the gang by a couple of the girls. Um, I met at a social outing, and then we ended up at the State House on the same day. And um, this lovely Puerto Rican girl, Bliss, came by and grabbed me by the arm and says, hey, you're with us. And it was just uh, terrific to yeah. to kind of have my village. And those girls, again, are, are some of the people who I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for, for them. That's beautiful. Um, and I got to know a few of the girls. I got very close to uh, one girl, Cherelle, who has been my mentor and my sister and a role model there. So... Um, what you do at Boston Healthcare for the Homeless? So they, they told yeah. me, yeah. yes, yeah. thank you. That's all right. Senior moment. Um, so they told me that there was this new clinic opening at, uh, at Boston Healthcare for the Homeless for um, transgender people. And I said, they, they said, would you like to come and maybe sw- switch your doctor, your primary care, and, and meet this nurse, Pam Klein, and she wants to work with trans people. And I said, wait a minute. The, she wants to, is she trying to like end her career? Because, you know, prior to her, it was sort of done in the shadows. There were places right. that saw us, but would, uh, were not our, you know, like shouting it from the rooftops right. by any measure. But she just had come from California. Yeah. And like a lot of the loose nuts in America get shook down to California, I guess. Mm-hmm. So she came out and she's like, no, this is an unmet, uh, underserved population. Right. Right. Um, there are, uh, definitely a lot of trans people experience homelessness, marginalization, um, have difficulty getting health care, and true to the spirit of Boston Healthcare for the Homeless, their founder, their CEO, their top management says, what, we have an underserved population in Boston? Sure, let's start that's a program. Stuff, and yeah. that's the spirit that they've yeah. always had. They've that's just great. been welcoming and supportive. And so I met Pam mm-hmm. at that time, about 12 years ago, uh, and she was knowledgeable and she had had some experience and yeah. was very, very welcoming. So I jumped board and, and uh, started doing my primary care there. And then um, after a while, got kind of plucked out to sit on the consumer advisory board um, because they thought that I had some well, things that could be helpful. Smart, you're wicked articulate, and, and you're representing a group that was thank you. a growing group. Yeah, yeah. So, and 
you know, there I realized, you know, I'm also supporting the work of Boston Healthcare for the Homeless, and, and we're dealing with a much broader population of people who may have different fruits to the problems, but a lot of the same roots. So mm -hmm. people just having a tough time in life. Yeah. And so I sat on the cab for a couple of years, and then they wanted me to be on the board of directors. And so I refused that first for a little while, because um, I was way spread too thin. I was working seven days a week at that point. And then um, it just came to the point where, no, this, this kind of makes sense, and maybe That's there'll great. be a reason for this. And as the Boston Medical Center started uh, declared, and they had been working with community members for many years. There's a doctor that's been doing primary care for trans people since, for 30 years. Wow. But it was, again, under the radar. Mm -hmm. And But they decided a few years ago that um, there was enough of a population, enough of a need. They were seeing a number of us, and they were, frankly, having some complaints uh, because yeah. the broader hospital wasn't on board with, with understanding the culture. So they needed to do trainings of a lot of the departments right. Right. and then some general cultural competency for the, high, the entire hospital. And you were part of that whole thing? I got to be part oh, of it. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. And it was an important thing to do. Um, it, wasn't, it, it, was, it was a voluntary position, mm -hmm. um, but you only get a chance to start to off of something change. really good on the right foot like once. Yeah. Sarah, I see our time is short and I have okay. a couple of the takeaways that Let's I really want us to get to. So um, one of the most clear things you said was trans people have skills and they have interests and they need an opportunity to work in the world. Mm -hmm. Overcoming, if you're looking to hire someone and someone walks in with kind of the skills you're looking for, Give them a chance. Right. Reach out. Make it as easy for them as you can. That's one of the takeaways is how to how to help. Um, another really important one is to acknowledge that recent progress under President Obama and just generally in sort of a culturally cultural shift towards more acceptance. We're now in a big knee jerk reaction. And as you put it to me, trans people are the canaries in the coal mine. Yes. You're one of the earliest, fastest, easiest targets right. for people who are filled with fear and hate. And that progress, like, um, you know, it was, it was said this summer that, you know, we got left behind at Stonewall. So that progress was 50 years in the making and more and about our community yeah. pushing forward yeah. to come into the public awareness. We had public awareness very big around 2010, 2012. And to be fair, I think People. You know what, my friend, we are almost out of okay, time. So I just want to say thank you You're for welcome. raising our understanding. Um, and boy, there's a lot more we could talk about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I think that's about it. So okay, thank, that's you. It. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.